You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 191. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you like to find your favorite podcast apps. Uh, leave us a review if you can, and you're thinking, hey, wait a minute, I thought we weren't doing this old school review uh, intro anymore, and guess what? We went old school and did it anyways. <laughs> so, hey, while we're doing the old school stuff, you can visit, visit us at codingblocks.net. Find all our show notes, examples, discussions, and more. And you can send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at Coding Block, or you can leave one on this episode, as people did in the last episode. So, yeah. All right, and balls out of the red, red blocks. <laughs> hey, what? So, I mean, y'all messed it up, so I didn't mess it up. So, okay. Hey, uh, also, we got a website. And then you like websites, www.codingbox.net. We got social links at the top of that page. That uh, I'm Joe Zach. I'm Michael Outlaw. And I'm Alan Underwood. All right. Uh, let's get into it. See what <laughs> I did there? <laughs> oh, oh, G-I-T. I get it. Okay. Ah, yes. Very yeah. good. All right. So w- we didn't have any reviews this time. Um, so sad face. I guess the bag will be nice and awkward this time. And then... And then also want to a little bit apologize for the last episode because it, it seemed like we kind of got lost in some details and, and especially me because I was going by the first article that we read and it definitely confused some things. So if I confused you guys along the way, guys and gals, I apologize. Hopefully this will clean it up a little bit here. And also I would go check out the comments from slash episode 190 because Will actually put up some really good stuff on that that may help clarify things for you if you were confused along the ride. So, you know, again, hopefully this one will, will be a little bit better. Yeah. A huge thanks for all the feedback too. We got, we got a lot of feedback on the last episode, a lot of people helping kind of clarify stuff and, you know, let us know what what you liked and didn't like, uh, which is all really helpful. So it was great to hear from everybody. So thank you very much for, uh, for all that. I know we got some emails and uh, tweets and slacks and uh, all those things and uh, all of which were helpful. So thank you very much. Yep. And we have committed it uh, to our <laughs> index. That's right. Am, am I, am I getting this right? I believe so. I believe okay. you, you get it right. I get it. it. Wow. Yeah. That's worse. <laughs> that is so much worse. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, so I, was, of- I was going along with some great puns and then like, okay, whatever you were speaking of something. <laughs> Well, uh, speaking of last episode, uh, where we started talking about uh, a book, uh, open source book, free, uh, called Get From the Bottom Up. We're going to continue on that with that. And this is the book by, uh, I think it was Jason. Jeez, uh, I forget. Uh, Jay Weigley. I forget what the J, the J stands for. But that's I mean, the name on GitHub, so I'm sticking with it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember uh, Alan, definitely. It was John. but uh, John, uh, yep. John uh, And Alan had to correct me on the pronunciation of the last name. Cause I definitely messed that up. And now, Oh, by the way, uh, have, <laughs> did you see, do you know the comment I'm about to refer to? Have you I already seen so. it? I think so. So I, I, I totally messed up last episode and I gave the, the internet free reign over, you know, I bastardize everybody else's names, have fun with mine. <laughs> and so I think it was, uh, was I, Michelle Outlawn, I think, was the one I saw in Slack. Nice. I'm like, all right. I asked there for it, it, so I I got it. Asking ye shall receive. Yeah. So, yeah. There you go. Awesome. Very nice. Hey, uh, I just found uh, John on Twitter, so now I'm following. And Coding Box is following John Weekly, so. Cool. All right. Hey, well, uh, let's start off talking a little bit about directory content tracking. 
and uh, someone else should start. <laughs> um, all right, so maybe maybe I can reclaim a little bit of my lost uh, mojo from the last one. So the directory, this content tracking, they, they said it's actually pretty simple because it just keeps a snapshot of the directory's contents. And it says that Git represents your files in blobs. Um, and if you've never heard of this, it's a binary long object similar to a Unix directory directory called a tree. And this is sort of similar to what you see like in, in Google or in cloud storage, right? Like everything's a blob. It's just an object that has some content to it, right? Nothing really special about it. Um, and one of the interesting things about these is these blobs are named by using a SHA-1 hash of the size and the contents of the file. And this is super important. They re they reiterate this so many times over the next several sections that because it is nothing more than the size and the contents of it, if you create the same exact file on your system, you name it whatever you want. Doesn't matter because it, it it's irrelevant. If you put the same contents in it and it has the same length, that same hash that SHA one will be on your system, my system, somebody's system, you know, halfway across the world. Again, doesn't matter about the name. It's just the contents and the length. And uh, by the way, you can actually see what the hash would be. Uh, you know, of course, you could just run a, uh, a SHA hash one, but there's actually a command too called git hash object. And you give the name of the file and it'll tell you what the hash is. And what's really cool is uh, like for a lot of this episode, I would actually keep my .git folder open or kind of working with commands. And you actually see it generating these files and naming them various things. And uh, so if you look under your git.git folder, there's a folder called objects where it's going to put your blobs and it's pretty cool. What it does, it takes that hash number. It takes the first two characters and it creates a directory and it takes the rest of the characters for the, the name of the file. So it's it, like, it literally feels and looks and is like a, a hash table. Well, that that's some of the, um, remember where we ended last episode. Now I was talking about like, if you go and poke around in there, um, we had talked about optimizations related to, I think it was the design and data intensive applications and like how you might store stuff on disk. Right. And I was referring referring to how like the first couple characters were used f- as the directory for it. And I was just, I was wondering if that was like some kind of a, you know, optimization trick that was decided on uh, as part of like, they're like, where do I go find this thing? And like, and also to like maybe limit the number of things that might, you know, objects or files that might be in a given directory. Cause at least on like some older versions of windows, that's been problematic. Right. Wait, yep. no, I, I think I'm thinking of the, the directory name length, not the number of files. Yeah, on Windows. Yeah, yeah, Java was always a problem on Windows for that reason. Well, the class yeah, paths was. for Java. Right. right. Yep. But one of the cool things here is, and, and they call this out, if you have if you have a piece of content, and I think they were doing like Hello World or something in a file that they created up there, if you had that, the length of that and the content of that are always the same. So you always have the same hash, so even if you have that file in 20 different places in your in your directory on your system itself, in Git, it's going to have one reference to that blob ID, and then there could be multiple trees that reference that same blob. So it's sort of a way to save on space, like what Outlaw was saying. It's almost like an optimization for that, so that you know that that same hash always points to the same exact file. Doesn't matter about the name, doesn't matter where it is on disk, just the same contents. Well, I believe if you were to go back to like what what the the different systems that existed prior to uh Git, you know, like go back to your 
uh, TFS days or, you know, uh, source safe or SVN or whatever days, you know, this, this was actually like a key differentiator for Git compared to some of those others where like the others would track files and directories. And so there might be multiple copies of that file, especially like as you, if you wanted to move around, do you remember, do you remember versioning in TFS? Like it was like you would have copies. You'd have like an entire copy tree copy of whatever that was the version. Right. And that's been a long time ago. Yeah. I don't, I, yeah. And, and, and that's a key, key differentiator here with Git and why like the, the repo sizes can get are, are like, they don't explode in size like the other ones. And there was actually a good discussion in our Slack, which by the way, if you're not already part of it, you should be, but um, there was a question about like, you know, services like GitHub and GitLab and whatnot. Actually, I think it was, I think that, I mean, definitely this isn't the reason, but I think that this was like one of the many things that made it possible for uh, those types of services to build around Git. Because like, think about if you wanted to uh, host uh, a, something like a GitHub, right? Like if you wanted to make GitHub, right? You're going to host all of everyone else's repos, right? You want those things to be as small as they possibly can be. Right. Right. And so like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just guessing that like the fact that Git already had this optimization built in into it, then made it also possible. Like, Hey, you know what? It's now, uh, foreseeable. It's now plausible that I could like spin up a service, you know, hosting other people's repos without it being like a, you know, huge burden that it would right. have otherwise been in like the old days of like a TFS or whatever. Yeah. I mean, totally. Just think about all the forks of popular repos up on Git, right? Like every fork of that in, in old, like if you were talking about in um, visual source safe or, or whatever, if those are truly making copies of all the files like that, well, would get, I don't want to confuse forks though. Well, would a fork, wouldn't that still, mm. I think it'd be an implementation. Like that's a GitHub, maybe deduce their files. Like, right. I, you know, it, it would kind of make sense to me because like forks are so prevalent things like license files, like with the same exact text, right. it makes sense for them to do it, but I don't know if they are. Yeah. That's a good point. It's a really good point. Yeah, so I'm going to double check now. Cause now you're making me think about the forks, but, I, but as I was thinking though, I was like, Oh wait, uh, Microsoft actually did have services to do hosted TFS. Uh, so (laughs) somebody made a business model out of it. So one of the cool things that they call out here that if you have a blob in, in your repository, as long as there is one link to it, like one tree that is linking to that blob, then it'll exist in the repository. As soon as there are no links to it, then it just disappears, right? It's no longer part of the repo. So if you have 50 that reference, you know, the same contents of a file, then those will all be hard linked to that same blob content. Otherwise it'll just end up disappearing. Yeah. It's pretty cool. You can actually see this. uh, You like you create two files with the same contents and add them both. And you can actually go watch it in the the objects folder. Like both of them have the same hash. You can do that, uh, that command that uh, I just mentioned, I forgot the name of it now. Um, hash object, and you'll see that you know this one just one file, and you can actually uh, decode the contents with another uh, content, uh, another command called cat file, uh, and or is it cat file blob? There's git Dang. cat file, and then there's git cat file blob. Blob. Okay, yeah, yeah, and give it the hash, and it'll actually read out the contents. This is pretty cool. So if you actually go browsing 
uh, in the, the that dot uh, gif folder, you can actually kind of click around and see what those are. But it's a it's kind of a weird binary format. I believe you want to do the dash t though to find out what the type is before you type. know that it's the blob. Okay. Yeah. Right? I see. Okay. Yeah. So. And then, and then just to circle the loop, I did go back and find like, so uh, the fork is a copy. So it would be mm. its own. Cause that's what I was thinking of is like, you know, you, you, I'm pretty sure that you would see your own copy of the repo. Like they're not, it's not sharing a dot git directory, right? It's creating its own copy. It's, yeah. Making a copy of that git folder then, I guess. Man, now you're making me dig into the yeah, inner I don't know. of forks. Yeah. I mean, I, w- I would think that like, you know, at a naive implementation, like it would just be, like they would, you know, they would keep it separate, right? But maybe they're doing some fancy stuff. I remember I used to work for a backup company, and like Ddupe was a big thing back then, and it kind of worked the same way. Where basically like would kind of index things by file contents in order to kind of keep your backups uh, in a good spot. And that way, you could have like backups from yesterday, backups from today, and they'd be tiny because if, you know any files that didn't change would be the same. So you could essentially get differential backups that way. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, what GitHub actually does, it is safe for them theoretically to to reuse the same files and to kind of only point to one spot uh, because the, the files are immutable. So like, once you change the file contents, you've changed the hash, and so that, like you can't ever modify uh, these files. Um, but I, you know, I don't know if that's what GitHub does underneath. There's, I don't think there's any guarantee of that or either way. Like they could do it, they could not do it. Yeah. I mean, if I had to guess. Uh, and I haven't found anything yet, but if I had to guess the way the fork would work is it is just a copy of, uh, of the, of the, whatever the source repo is, but in your fork version of it, I would guess that it's going to add a, um, uh, Oh, what would be the term for it? Like a, um, a remote that would tell, so that you could see what the upstream that you forked from was, because then it would make it easy for you to like pull in changes from that uh, original remote, as well as to like, uh, if you wanted to PR back to it. So that, that that's my sense. guess as to what's happening behind the scenes. But uh, you know, they probably want to expose that. Right. I'm definitely like, you know, calling that out there is like, that's just, you know, a, a, a guess as to how it might work. Well, it's kind of funny to think like a, an effective way to DDoS GitHub is basically go find the biggest repository and like fork, <laughs> fork, 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 you know, assuming that the, the, uh, I'm sure they have some have rate a, limiting on how fast you could do that though. Right. Yeah. But still like, I mean, how big is the Kubernetes repository, right? It's probably huge. I'm sure there's gig, uh, the repositories out there that are gigs. And so, you know, it's just, it seems like that's kind of a scary thing, but you know, maybe they're doing that sort of deduplication under the hood or, you know, or maybe they're, like, yeah, you know, right, doing now, some fancy stuff, but I don't now know. I'm going to go, now I'm going to go fork something and see if I'm right about the, uh, <laughs> about the, the remote. That's funny. Hey, so while he's doing that, here's another important piece of that. So we talked about the fact that a blob is only content and the size is the hash of that. Um, a blob stores no metadata about its content whatsoever. So like I said, the file name's not there. There's no permissions. There's no who created it. None of that's there. It is just the content and, and the size. And that's super important. Um, now the metadata is kept somewhere that's kept in the tree that contains the blob. So that is kind of what knows what the file name was that you gave it. Right. So that hello world content that we talked about, you could have named it, um, hello.txt, or you could have named it greetings, which I think is what they called it in, in the examples, which I highly recommend going to the pages that we have linked here 
and just following along with what they do and run these commands because it's it's eye opening. Yeah, it's cool. So like uh, one of the, one of the things we'll get to later is like you, you actually create a file and you add it. And you'll see your blob gets created then. And then when, once you commit it, you'll see that another, it's, uh, it's basically a, a blob too. You know, it's a, it's serialized text that will show up as well. And that is actually the tree. So you've got these, uh, these two objects right there. And then finally you'll commit and you'll end up with three total objects in your repository for one file. One is actual contents of the file. One is the tree that has that additional metadata. And the final one is the commit that points to that tree. Yep. And, and here's the interesting thing that we talked about earlier. If you were to create, um, you know, that one blob, and then let's say you copied and pasted that same thing all over the place into multiple different directories, they would create a tree that would all point to the same other thing with the contents, but they would have metadata about all the other file locations. So it's, it's pretty interesting how they manage all that. And you can see it all with their low level calls. Um, that we'll talk about a little bit here coming up. Yep, and um, I just thought it was kind of interesting. They compared this early on to uh, Unix file directories, and they kind of you know called out that Unix doesn't do the deduplication trick that we mentioned, and that's because Unix is designed for those files to change. Like they anticipate that those changes are are going to happen, or or potentially can happen which is definitely something they can't do because literally that hash, you know, <laughs> comes from the content. So if those contents change, so does the hash. So the hashes are immutable. Yep. So like I said, it's worth, we're going to have a link in the show notes here. It'll be down in the resources. Um, introducing the blob, highly recommend clicking that link and going up and trying this out. Like you don't have to do anything special. You can just create a, a throwaway directory to do this stuff in and try it out. And it's pretty quick to go through these things. Um, but like we said, they, they create a file, they calculate the hash of the file using this get hash dash object, and then whatever the file name is. And if you were to follow their example verbatim with what they had, you'll get the same exact SHA-1 hash on your system because you're creating the same file, the same length. So it, it's pretty crazy to see this. And then what Jay-Z was talking about earlier, there's a couple of, and these are all super low level commands, right? Like this stuff that, that we're talking about in the rest of this episode, none of it is things that you'll probably ever do day to day, except to learn this is my yeah, guess. Definitely don't, don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Don't, I wouldn't recommend it unless you're writing Git tools or something, right? Like if, if you're writing the next Git client, then maybe you do stuff like this, but I can't. Yeah, it's think pretty any. cool. Like once you kind of know how it works, like you could theoretically go do this stuff by hand. Like aside from the SHA one, I wouldn't want to do a SHA one like with pen and paper. But uh, you can actually go in, create these files, and do these things, and you'll have valid, you know, valid Git. So it's like you could rewrite Git if you want to based on these instructions. It's really cool. Yep. So like the one that we mentioned earlier, Git cat dash file dash t, and then a hash ID that will tell you the type of the file. So. Like when we were talking about earlier, if you created a file with some contents in it and then you did that get cat file dash T on that, it would tell you it was a blob. Um, and then there's other times that you can do different types of, of hash IDs there and it'll tell you if it's a tree or if it's a commit or whatever. Like this thing will tell you the low level types of the get system objects that it sees. Um, and then the git cat dash file blob, and then you pass in the hash ID, will show you the contents of it. So if you did put hello world in that thing, that's what it would spit out on, on your command line there, um, which is really cool. I mean, it's just showing you the raw content of whatever you put into it. 
Yeah, so you know, I mentioned those three files, so I still have that set up. So I went ahead and did the uh, git cat file dash t on each of those hashes, and uh, I got uh, a blob, a tree, and let's do the last one live here. It should be a commit. Will it be? I'm using my Mac. So while he's doing that, what have you found? So I did try the fork in the background, but uh, I commit. It was the commit. Yeah. Yep. Um. And I should have thought, I thought about this like as I was doing it and then, and sure enough, like it doesn't automatically like add a remote on your system when you do the clone. Uh, so I was like, you know, it's like literally as I was typing the command, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not going to see these remotes there. But a GitHub does say that like in their documentation for it, for example, that they keep track of it. So I'm guessing that maybe they're keeping that association as like a, a remote um, for it would be. Maybe, you know, educated guess, but yeah. Is it educated though? I don't know. It's just a guess. Yeah. Speculation. <laughs> it, would make, it would make a lot of sense for them to kind of, to maintain that. So it was a, you know, create deduplicate or duplicating all that, uh, big heavy data is a terrible idea. For a free service. Well, so being I mean, with a free account yeah. can go clone Kubernetes like 20 times, you know? Yeah, it, I'm sure they're doing some special things behind the scenes, right? It, it, well, their own special sauce. Okay, okay. Wait a minute. Maybe maybe we're confusing things though, because there there's they could create a clone of the repo, right? Uh, like a cop. Let me rephrase my wording there. They could create a copy of the repo there, so that when you do your fork operation, that I'm air quoting, and of course the listeners saw that I did that. Um, when, when you create that fork, right, it creates that copy for you. And then that way you have your own repo to go and play in and mess around with. Right. Cause that's supposed to be the point of the fork is that you right. can go experiment and then potentially make changes back to it. Don't confuse that with the underlying infrastructure that that service yeah, is sitting on top of, right. because like if it's a ZFS file system or even like there are other, uh, NFS and SAN file systems that do deduplication at the at the um, file system level that you know maybe that level is keeping your DDoSing from being like that big of a problem, right? Right. Yeah, it, it's it's all implementation stuff that we're going to have no idea what they're doing unless we go work for them. Yeah, <laughs> so. it's kind of bugging my brain, but yeah, I mean maybe we'll be able to read up on how forks work or maybe kind maybe of maybe it'll be it, but, like uh, later in the chapter. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah possibly. Hey, so so while we're at it here, what we've talked about so far was just dealing with blobs. We haven't even talked about the commits. We haven't talked about the trees. We haven't talked about the repositories. Nothing, right? We're just talking about the fact that there is a file. It has its own hash, and you know you have this blob, and that is the base level unit for working with Git is the blob, and then everything else sort of builds up from that. So. Hey, no one else is talking, so I jumped in here to ask you about those reviews because you know we love those reviews, and we love hearing the feedback, especially, especially when it's three-plus stars. We love those. <laughs> so if you have three-plus stars in you, we would love to hear it. <laughs> we tried to make it easy for you by going to codingblocks.net slash review. So if you have a three-plus star in your heart, you could bear it to part with for us. We would love it if you went to codingblocks.net slash view and clicked maybe one of those links and left us a three plus review. 
It's wow. such a low bar that you're setting there. Right? Like, couldn't even go for four. Hey, you know, I, I'm willing to go lower. Whoa. So, you know, <laughs> don't push me because I'm close to the edge. Okay. <laughs> nice. All right. Okay. Well, yeah, sorry. I was uh, I was cleaning up some of my uh, forking mess um, that I did there. Which, by the way, you know, your, yours was, uh, you, you went to um, Kubernetes, and I it was like, no, let's just clone scaffold and you know because that's more like in our daily lives that's more in our control like there's there's a better sure. chance that we could get a commit into the scaffold pipeline than but it's yeah. so much smaller we know someone that has yeah oh yeah. yeah see there you go there you go all right well uh then i will lead us into with that we head into my favorite portion of the show surveys says all right, so this goes back to uh, a few episodes back. Uh, Kurt Frank gave us a survey idea about like, hey, which book should we finish, right? <laughs> and your choices were, I'm going to try to read through these pretty quick because there's a bunch of them. Site reliability engineering, designing data-intensive applications, domain-driven design, clean code, clean architecture, the Imposter's Handbook, the DevOps Handbook, any book, just finish one. I actually like that you leave some of it for me to read on my own or just move on to another book. Ain't nobody got time to go back to those old books or maybe after last episode, get from the bottom up. All right. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> uh, if we can't laugh at ourselves, man, who can we laugh at? Right. All right. So uh, this is 181. According to Alan, uh, pfft, Alan, to Tutko's trademark rules of engagement, Alan, you are first. And I'm, I'm hoping nobody says domain driven design. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not that I didn't like it, but man, that one was hard. I, I'm going to go with designing data intensive applications. And I will say we had a lot of choices here. I'll go with 20%. Okay. Okay. Taking the safe road. Yep. Uh, Joe Zach, you kind of need to unmute yeah. for no, the people on the podcast to hear you. He did that on I, purpose. Yeah, I had to. I had to get some. I had to vent a little bit because twenty percent is too low for this wonderful book. I think you could safely go with thirty six percent. So you you choosing the win. same one then, huh? Same one. Yeah. Can I change my vote? Yeah, you know what? Be different. I will allow it. All right, I appreciate that. I'm going to go with the imposter's handbook then, and I'll go at 25. percent I will. I will jump up a good old five percent on it. Okay. All right, I want to change mine. Uh, What? (laughs) I will allow it. Okay, let's go with DDIA with 40 percent. Wait, isn't that the same book you already picked? Same book. He just upped it. He upped it four percent. Okay. Final answers. Final answer. We're, we're like mixing in the rules of a third game show here. Here we go. <laughs> do you, does anyone want to phone a friend? All right. Can I get a 50-50? <laughs> <laughs> well, I got news for you. Somebody almost won. <laughs> oh, Joe man. Zach. Oh, man. What was the percent? Designing data-intensive applications was the fan favorite or is the fan favorite. You're gonna, you ready to kick yourself? Yep. Because I, I want to kick yourself in the shins for you. <laughs> All right. 
37% of the vote. Oh, wow. wow. Nice. I, wow. When when you said 36, I was like, I'm sure he's cheated. There's no wow. way. There's no way the mathematician got that close. Uh-huh. So I am curious, though. What was what was second and third on here? Because maybe those are worth um, revisiting as well. Uh, Alan? Yeah? Disappointment's about to be a big part of your life. Are you ready? Oh, man. No, not domain-driven design. <laughs> Actually, I like that you leave some of it for me to read on my own was the number two. Okay, that's not bad. But number three, (laughs) it was domain-driven design. Wow. I mean, it was good, but man, it was hard to read. Yeah, I was really surprised. Uh, site reliability engineering, I, I was surprised that it was so low, but also uh, Imposters Handbook and DevOps Handbook, I, I couldn't believe those were so low either. So, yeah, poor same. clean code. Poor one well, out then, clean code. Was it down down in the dumps? Oh, code? yeah. Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> we won't Nobody talk about that. Um, Nobody wants to write clean code. Yeah, so, uh, and obviously nobody voted for Get From The Bottom Up because that wasn't one of the choices, but, you know, clearly it should have been. Um, so, okay, so I got something new for us this time. So, right. you ready for this? Let's do it. We, we've done this before, but I'm going to like, uh, you know, I think, what did I call this last time? I'm gonna, I know, I'm going to call it This Is Jeopardy for Coding Blocks. Right. So you ready? So th- here, here's the new introduction. This is Jeopardy. I don't know. That didn't sound anything like it. That's not, uh, that's, in my okay, head, that's really good. It sounded like that's it was, was going to be a good idea, and then the execution of it fell apart. No, no, no. So, it's pretty good, man. So here's the idea. Um, we're we're talking about Git, right? And I'm going to give you a question, right? And you're going to see what Google. You're going to try to see who can get closest to the top answer that Google would come back with on your computer, Uh, on my computer. But in my computer, I'm also like incognito to try to like, you know, uh, you know, if you really want me to, I'll spin up a VM and GCP and (laughs) we'll do it there. But we'll uh, be back in just a moment, folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, GCP is pretty fast. Don't, don't. Okay. So, so here, here's the, here's the question. Now, again, I'm going to give you a question. And you're going to try to fill in the blank that Google auto suggest would do for that. And who ever gets the closest is, is going to be the winner here. Are you ready? And this is going to be hard. You have to buzz in. How do we buzz in? Who, who goes first? Uh, I mean, did you want to have a first or go first or buzz in or just like, okay, we, we can be gentlemen <laughs> about this. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll apply to Tucka's rules of engagement here as well Ooh. then. So, uh, you know, it's an odd number episode. So Alan will go first. That's right. All right. Why is Git Beep. dot so dot, hard dot, dot, so dot. hard? Okay, so hard. Uh, well, uh, I have to choose something different. Uh, uh, so weird. <clears throat> so weird versus so hard. Yep. Um, I'm going to have to give Alan the win okay. for this one. The second choice from Google was why is Git so confusing? Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. 
And so, uh, that's, uh, so I'm, I'm saying like, you know, hard would be kind of uh-huh. like confusing more than yeah. weird. But what the was number one, the number one, the number one is why is Git called Git? What? Does anybody well, know? Nobody asked that. That was the number one from Google. And it is actually in the Git readme. And I will have a link to it as well as the, there's a, a link to, uh, I'll have a link to uh, the Wikipedia article for it as well. Uh, where uh, Mr. Tavoles himself sarcastically, and I, I sure I bastardized that name as well. That's trademark what I do. Uh, quipped <laughs> about the name Git, uh, which means unpleasant person in British English slang, apparently, according to Google. And, and uh, I won't say all of the wording here because I think like some of the wording, um, uh, at least in the, the the Wikipedia article, you know, some some languages um don't mind some choices of words whereas in uh you know america uh we, you know we need that clean tag on on that uh yeah, yeah. podcast yeah. style so at any rate so i'm gonna try right. to like do what i can here but he said when uh he described the tool as the stupid content tracker and the name is one of four things depending on your mood okay the first one is it's just a random three-letter combination that is pronounceable and is not actually used by any common Unix command. And the fact that it is a mispronunciation uh, of the G-E-T may or may not be relevant. Okay, that's number one. Number two is stupid, contemptible, and despicable, simple. Take your pick from the Dictionary of Slang. Number three is it's an acronym for Global Information Tracker. Because you're in a good mood and it actually works for you. Angels sing and then the light suddenly fills the room. It's now never the, that one for me. Never. The, now, I'm gonna I'm gonna like, you know, change some of the language on this one just because of uh I don't know, Apple podcasting rules or whatever. Pfft, whatever. Um Huh. So <laughs> God darn idiotic truckload of crap when it breaks. Another <laughs> acronym. God darn idiotic truckload. Only he wouldn't say it with like such a southern choice of vernacular and accent when he says it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, yep. I, I think but, I think I got the translation. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. You could you could substitute some word. You could figure out what he was really going after. But that's from like you know the man himself as he's describing it. I just. Thought it was kind of funny. And also, that's the number one thing that came up on Google. So, all right. That's crazy. All right. So, let's get back into it. All right. You want to take the lead on this one here, Outlaw? You you were busy looking up how GitHub worked in the last section. Oh, yeah. Well, and and now I'm trying to like put these links in there before I forget them. But yeah. Uh, So, blobs are stored in trees. So, uh, remember that there's no metadata about the blobs. It's just the data written. So they, they kind of made the, the author, um, John Wigley. Wigley. Dang it. <laughs> um, he had made a reference to like it being like the file system, right? And and he had made a, a point about like the inodes being that kind of metadata for it. And that, you know, you just had like the blob, which was the file content itself. And so here we're saying that like there's no metadata about the blobs, just the data within it uh, is the is the content there 
Git maintains the structure of the files within the repository in a tree by attaching blobs as leaf nodes within a tree. And there was actually a quote um, in somewhere in the book too, where he was, where he said uh, that, how did he refer to it? It was like the, the um, it represents your first, it represents your files contents in blobs, which are also leaf nodes in something awfully close to a dictionary called a tree. So going back to what Alan started with from the, from the beginning, Right, just kind of tying those two things together. <clears throat> Jay Z actually said the the hash, but that's fine. Yeah, I'll t- which you I'll can implement credit. a hash table as a tree. Yeah, but it looks like no, a hash no, no. table. Like if you ever have one described, I was referring to um, no, Alan, you, you definitely said it, it was like uh, the, about the Git represents your file contents and blobs. Like oh, you know, at the very start, you know, I was yeah. going back to that. Ah, um, gotcha. So yeah, so uh, you know, there were a bunch of like cool commands in here that we get into that you never really like needed to get into, but one of them was uh get LS tree. And then you could give it a, a ref when in this case, the command uh, that they used in the, um, in the book was uh, they used the head. Um, I think I used the word variable last time and we alias. decided to call it an alias this time. And I think even in the, the book though, he had a different uh, description for it. Wasn't it? No, or maybe called it alias. Maybe I'm thinking of the maybe I'm thinking of the conversation that was in Slack where somebody referred to it as like a pointer or something. I don't remember which, but yeah. Oh yeah, that was Slack. Somebody said that it should be treated like C. Oh right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh so get LS tree head will show you the tree of the latest commit in the current uh I don't like this choice of words, but directory. Who where you are on your file system, right? So it's it's actually on your file system if you do that git ls tree. Well, uh, I'm not sure. Like, so if you type in git ls tree head, though, the, I don't like referring to it as I don't like the. So I don't know who put the who put this note in there. So I'm trying to like be nice about this, but no, that's the, fine. The, it was me, I think. So you, can, you I can. I don't like confusing like terms like directory in when we talk about git because I don't want I I don't want to think of it necessarily as a file system even though like there is that analogy at the beginning. So I don't know, maybe I'm wrong for not wanting to do that, but at any rate, um, maybe, maybe the current um, branch that you're in, because you have to be in a branch in order for you, in order for head to point to something, right? Well, no. Uh, yeah. Cause if you were in, um, if you had checked out the commit, then you're headless right now. I'm forgetting. Yeah, uh, I'm confusing myself. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Um, so just kind of catch up, make sure I understand. So we're talking about basically how, how Git maintains the structure of the files of the repository uh, with the tree, but attaching the blobs as the leaf nodes within the tree. And so you can go in that folder and actually see where those blobs live. But conceptually, these live in you know a tree. And uh, you can see this uh, by doing a Git ls tree head. And assuming you've made at least one commit here, you are going to get... A result that basically tells you what that blob. Like, so the example here, we've we've tried to uh, kind of cut down on some of the examples. Like in the chapter that it has you like walk through some stuff, we didn't want to read a bunch of commands. But the example that we're seeing here right out the gate is basically doing a git ls tree of head when you've got one commit. And what it's going to do is show you that you've got a blob, and it's going to show you the hash for the content of the blob as well as the file name. So it's basically showing it's it's kind of marrying that metadata that it knows about this content and uh, displaying it for you. Yeah, I was, I was wrong about my um, 
comment about like if you were in the headless state or the detached head state, cause it would still show you uh, where you are. Cause head would still be pointing to where it, you're currently at. But what if you don't have any commits? If you did, if you had like a, I know the answer. like you get a knitted, a, uh, a, 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 or what you want to be as a repository, a repository. So you don't have any commits in it though yet. Like what yeah, does if you have head no point commits. to? Yep. I would think you would get an error. Like a Git log would give you an error, right? Cause you don't yep, have correct. anything for it to point to. Yep. So it, it, it tells you that the uh, log doesn't exist or sorry. It says not a valid object uh, name head. When you do the Git LS tree, if you do Git log it says your current branch appears to be broken. But both it's because the head hasn't been created. It actually doesn't exist. And you can actually see this. Like when you walk through the examples, you, you like just open up this dot git folder and you'll see that there's literally, you know, there's a head file, but there's, it's not pointing to anything. So it's cool. Uh, yeah. But okay. So I'm now I'm trying to remember something. Cause when you say like the point to like, it's just the contents of the file. If I remember correctly. Well, which thing you're talking about? I want to go back and double check and look at the and look in my Git directory. Uh, yeah. So if you go, if you look in your Git directory, head is a file, and yep. if you were to cat that file out, it has just the commit ID in it. Yeah. So by I, w- I wanted to clarify the language of point to because it's not it's not like a symbolic link or anything like that. It's just it's just a file that has the contents of what it's. One, yes. what it's representing so if you've got a, a repository with no commits into it you've got a head file and it just says ref ref heads master but if i'm actually if i go and do this commit then wait the fo- the head file actually had contents in it you're saying yeah it, it wasn't just zero size let me try i'm gonna do i expected it to be zero here. size i'm making now git test five is the name of this folder don't let me forget this test five We'll just make sure. I think that was the pilot that didn't make it back when they went to get the Death Star, right? Uh, Test five was on the left. I think it was five. (laughs) Rogue five? (laughs) Red leader? I don't know. Uh, So I'm doing get knit. And I'm looking in my folder here. Yep. Go into your... Yep. You do have a head file. Zero size. No. It has ref colon ref heads master in it. Learn something new every day. Yeah, interesting. But my objects directory only has two empty folders in it. Okay. Now I'm creating a file just to make sure. <laughs> and I'm narrating while I do it. So. I just make sure. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to go on to the git rev parse head which decodes the head into the commit ID it references. So if you were to, uh, I mean, you just get back the, the literally the command. It's basically like the same as like cat in that file. If I remember correctly. Uh, am I wrong? Okay. I'm a dummy. Yeah. Okay. So I, I got tangled up on something. Yeah. It's the same thing as cat in the file. Yeah. So check this out. So if you do, uh, if you switch branches, like get check out B and give it some other name, Guess what? Head now is a ref to the name of that branch. So, you know, originally when I said master, that's because master is the default name of uh, my branches. So my, when I did my get init, that's what it pointed to. And I check out another branch called test. Now my head points to uh, ref's heads test. 
Oh, okay. So. Yeah. And so check this out. So now if you go into the git dot, dot git folder, there is a folder under there called refs, a folder under there called heads. And I have two, one for master, one for test. Both of those uh, point to, and uh, I, I hope I'm not leading us astray, but uh, I did do a commit here just because as I was kind of messing around and both of these heads, master and test, both have the file contents. The only thing in this file right now is a hash of that commit. So if I do a git log, I see that same commit. Hey, okay. and, and real quick, going back to the to the thing we're saying, git ls tree, it'll show the tree of the latest commit in the current directory. So that is accurate. And, and I tested this out too. So if you're in a directory, and let's say you make two directories, and in, in your you do a git init in whatever directory you're in, then you make one directory called test one, you make another directory called test two, right? And let's say in test one, you put file ABC. And in test two, you put file DEF. If you do, after you commit that, it's very important. After you commit those changes, if you did a git ls tree from your root level git, right, it'll show both those files in there and it'll give you the tree hashes of those. If you were to CD into test one and then do a git ls tree from just test one, you'll only see the blob or the tree that exists in that directory. So the git ls tree is actually you know, it, it's contextual based off where you are on your file system inside your, your Git repository. So that's why it was worded that way, because it actually does list it out. Like if you go up a directory, you'll see more than if you go down into a subdirectory. And just to kind of close the loop, I did start a Git test six folder <laughs> and I did again in it and it does create a head file and the head of the contents of it, uh, say ref colon, Refs heads master, and it's a, a file location. So if I go drill into ref, uh, refs heads, uh, there is no master because I don't have any commits yet. And so that's why, you know, we tried doing like a git log, you get an error. Um, we do the uh, git ls tree, we get an error because we have no tree yet. We have no commits. So the head just points to a folder that doesn't exist yet. But once you make that first commit, then you get uh, a folder under that heads for the branch name that has a, a list of commits in it. But uh, but I, I want to be careful here though, because like one thing that that's confusing with the example though, Alan, the the the, the directory example that you gave, like when you do that ls tree, it's not it's not showing you like the directory structure. It's no. showing you the commit the uh, the commit history of that of that tree. So you give it a a starting point, which in this case, you know, we were using head in the example, but you could give it any commit. And I'm assuming that you could probably even point to it by like uh, ref heads and branch name. So, oh, so, so let's not even, let's not even go that deep into it. Let's not confuse that. If you do a get LS tree head in the root directory, it'll show you both of, of the, uh, the other directory trees that are there. If you go into one, like I said, I created a directory test one and test two. If you go into test one, you can run that same command, get ls dash tree head from there, and it will only show you that portion of the tree. So get ls tree that is contextual be- based off where you run it. 
I've never so like so here's the interesting thing, right? So when I did that, like I said, I created a file in each one of the subdirectories. When I do a get ls tree from the root, and I'm not doing a dash r for recursion or anything, I'm just doing a get ls tree head from the root. It shows me the two directories, and it gives me the hashes for those directories or or those trees that get is tracking right. <clears throat> if I go into test one and I run that same command, get ls tree head. In that directory, it now shows me the text file I created in that directory with its own blob hash. So the top level shows me the two tree hashes that were there. And then when I went into the subdirectory, it showed me the hashes of the blob that I put there. So it's actually showing different information at different levels of the tree wherever you are on your file system. And that's why I want it. That's, that's what's important. It's contextual based off where you are in your Git repository. In the layout of that. Yeah, I see the same thing. That is crazy. I never knew that. Yeah, I didn't expect that. And and so here's another thing that's really cool based off like the the kinds of things that we're talking about here and what Jay-Z just mentioned. The the dot git folder, like when when he was talking about head, you can actually cat out dot git slash head and it will tell you what it's pointing at. It's just it's it's exactly what we said earlier. It's the pointer to what branch or whatever you're looking at. It's it's basically just text, right? So a lot of the things or some of the things in that Git folder, it's literally just overriding. Like with we've talked about, like when you add a new commit, that head will get updated to point to whatever you know that latest bit is. So it's just a text file, and that is how Git is keeping track of this stuff. But it's not updating that text file as you're changing directories, though. No, no, not as you're changing directories. No, I said when you do commits. I guess oh. the, like that's weird. I never realized the, the contextual nature of it, but I also don't have to use, fortunately, no, does the LS tree right? command often. Yeah. Except yeah, I, it, that's that's actually something worth calling out. I think I don't remember if we said it earlier. A lot of the commands we're talking about here, you should probably uh-huh. never ever use in your regular day, right? Like. These are things that are useful in learning how to do this. And maybe, like I said, if you're going to write a Git tool, but but I don't think you're ever going to be running a Git LS tree unless you're doing some really special stuff, right? Okay, I see it now. Like it says in the description for it, the behavior is list the contents of a given tree. Uh, some and they use the LS minus A as an example uh, in the current of the current working directory, and it says it's the behavior is similar to that and that the path is taken as relative to the current working directory. But you can use the dash dash full tr- full dash tree option to ignore that relativity. Yep. I mean, yeah, it makes sense with the, like being consistent with LS. Like you run LS by default, it's going to use your current directory, but you can do LS dot dot slash, do the directory up or, you know, pass a, an absolute path and it'll do it. Yeah, I just never would have thought that it would... Um, go and find all the blobs that are specific to that because I just thought like you're passing it a, uh, some kind of a ref, you know, either uh, a branch name or a commit ID. And then it would just be like, here you go spitting out stuff for that. But yeah, you know, I guess that, I guess if it did do that, that would be kind of dumb. Cause then it'd be like, well, we have other commands for that. Why do we need this one? So, well, you know, you know, what's really I mean, interesting about this. Well, and just this- to finish the loop, your, your analogy of it working like the LS that's in the name of it makes more sense. 
Yeah. So, so here's why people like, I think in the, the original article we talked about that I now kind of hate because of last episode, the, <laughs> the dominus one. Um, but when he mentioned that the get CLI kind of is frustrating, like here's an example. So like I mentioned, when you run that get LS tree from that root directory, you see two trees, right? Like it shows you a tree for test one and, and it's hash and then tree test two and it's hash. If you do a get LS tree dash R head for recursive, it just shows you the blob hashes from the subdirectories. It doesn't show you the original tree stuff. So it like modifies totally what you would sort of expect this thing to do. Like I would expect it to almost, you know, give me the output of what it would have done at the root. And then in the subdirectories instead, it just gave me the output as if I had gone down into each subdirectory and run the get LS tree. So it's, it, it's frustrating working with the get CLI because wait, you know, I don't I miss, I missing that last point. If you do the dash R for the recursive recursion or recursive, <laughs> you're saying that you weren't seeing what's in the root. Cause I am, you, you do not know. So I, I didn't create a file in the root. So if I just oh, do get, maybe that's get LS dash tree head in the root, then I see that I have tree one and tree two uh, or, or yeah, the trees based are, are my directories, right? It says tree. Um, yeah. But then you do the one. dash R and you do see what the contents inside of there. I see the contents, but I don't see, I mean, the trees there. Yeah. You I see, see the, the blobs. blobs. Yeah. But I mean, it's written out as the name though, right? As the name with the blob, it just doesn't show the trees with their hashes. So again, it's it's just oh, I see. Let me make that. Let me make this distinction clear. Then you are seeing the the directory name or tree, uh, but it was a directory that I put on my file system stored as a tree in Git. I do see that tree. No, no, no that directory name as directory slash, and then the file name, but. Yes. For the the objects that Git is showing me, it shows you the uh, uh, what's that first bit where it has like the the read write group the kind type. of stuff. Um, no, 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 oh man, the attributes, oh, yeah. and yes. then and then it shows you the type that it is, which in this case is a blob, and then right. it shows you the hash of the blob, the SHA one right. of the blob, Correct. but you can't see the SHA one of the directory tree, tr- or. The, the directory on my file system, which is a tree in Git, Correct. unless you didn't do the recursion. Right. But I mean, and it kind of makes sense. It's like, it's like you're doing a, an LS, you know, are you doing the LS minus A or are you doing it recursively? So now this command is making so much more sense to me once you like tied in the LS to the regular file system. I don't know why I never thought of it that way before. Yeah. So yeah, it's cool. So yeah, the, the, again, this is stuff that, it's worth doing this for the examples and learning how gets doing things behind the scenes. But I, I don't know that I can think of a time when I would ever actually go use this. Yeah. I'm hoping that like one day I'll run into a Git problem and like, it'll make more sense because of this, but I don't totally. know if it will, but it's still been really cool. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been happy. It's been like, is this one of those books where like you really got to do the examples and just kind of see it. Mm-hmm. All right. So we did the Git rev parse head. I think you did that outlaw. Have we done the get cat file dash T head? Well, we kind of talked about this one already though. Cause I, I mentioned like you had to specify the type, right? And wasn't this where we were talking about that? I, uh, I think so w- with the head, it's different. It just tells you what's at the head, right? 
Um, whereas if you put in the hash, you kind of know, well, maybe, maybe you don't know what it maybe is. Maybe this wasn't the one I was thinking of that. I- yeah. We, we, I kind of jumped ahead a little bit. Yeah. If you do a git, uh, git cat file dash type on the head, then it tells you that the type is, uh, is a commit. Yes. And it, it like, just like, you know, we said, if you drill into this folder and find this, uh, into the refs heads, like, and pick on your branch, you're going to see, assuming that you've had at least one, you're going to see a file named after your branch, and it'll have a single, uh, a, or sorry, not a single. It'll have, uh, yeah, yeah, it will be single. Uh, commit uh, hash in there. And you know what's really interesting? If you just throw the word commit in the middle of all that, then it gives you the metadata. So if you do git cat dash file uh, commit head. Then it'll give you all the metadata about that commit, what tree it belongs to, who the author was, the committer, all that kind of stuff. So like there, there's modifications to this git cat file that will give you different information based off what you're trying to look for here. Well, that's where you have to know the type first. You do, right. If you put instead of commit, if you put um tree there instead of the other on head, it would have failed. Well, you just get weird stuff. Yeah, you get uh-huh. you get garbage. If you do git cat file tree oh, head, you're right. Yeah, you you, you get some really nasty looking stuff. <laughs> uh, I mean, because you can break stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'm assuming it's just like being kind of dumb about it and assuming you already know what the type is, and it's just right. going to be like, okay, this is the format that you want to see this in. So I'm just going to print it out like that. But you know, again, that's just an assumption. Agreed. There, I wonder. There's, I, I'm. It just seems so shocking, though, that it wouldn't have like a way to just like you go figure out the type. Why do I have to tell you? Oh, this last part, I forgot that I'd had I'd put this in the notes, or maybe this was already somewhere else. But I think I went and looked this up because I was playing around with the Git commands. So, if you want to see what Git is maintaining and its own information about trees, I put a, a set of commands here, um, and it's find space dot get slash objects and then space dash type and then F and it will actually list out everything that Git is tracking. So it's, it's kind of interesting just to see what's going on behind the scenes. Again, I don't know that it serves any real purpose. And if you're in bash. (laughs) Oh, and if if you're in bash, yeah, you're going to need the find. Yeah. I mean, this is, this goes back to where we started, where we ended last episode and, and one of the comments made at the beginning about like how it's, uh, taking the first two letters of whatever the Shaw is and creating a directory. And then the rest of it is the file name. And, you know, I was supposing, I don't know, maybe it's some kind of weird optimization thing, but cause, cause what it spits back out to you is like literally in this fine command is going to spit back out the directory structure. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause you're, you're literally just saying like, Hey, find all of the things that are in this objects directory uh, that are of type file. And, yep. and then it spits it out, but you don't know like what those types are. And then you'd have to do some like, uh, you know, inline kind of awk or said or both type, yeah. uh, uh, concatenation to get that directory back into the, with the rest of the file name to get the actual complete shawl is one thing so that you could then use that as like an input to a, Hey, cat file minus T, what is this thing? And you know, well, you know, the interesting thing about this and, and the reason why I thought this was kind of cool is it shows you that Git is basically duplicating your directory system in its own metadata, right? Um, to a certain degree. I mean, 
and even more so because it's creating trees, it's creating um, objects, it's or or blobs and that kind of stuff. So, like as you add files to your system to your directory in that Git repository, like this grows fast. And it was odd to me. I'm not sure. I'm sure they have a reason for it, but the hash, they always divided it up into the first two of the hash and then slash and then the rest of them. I'm, I'm guessing that's for well, file system purposes, but I, I don't know why. Yeah. That's, that's what I was getting at is that like, I, maybe that's some kind of weird optimization that they were deemed that like, you know, Hey, this was, this was good enough uh, that if we, if we did that, we could break it up you know, the font, we don't run into file name problems. We don't run into number of files kind of problems. And, you know, yeah, oh, it'll oh. make sure that you uh, don't have more than 225 folders at that level. Oh, uh, so, two to 15, or sorry, 15 squared. Oh, so uh, I actually forgot. So I put the note after this, that find dot get objects, that thing. The whole reason I did that was because in the previous commands that they were talking about in that, in that page, you know, they were showing you the commit, the tree, the object, all that kind of stuff. After you go through that, if you do this find, you'll actually see that all of those exist in the file system in that Git folder. And so it's kind of interesting that they all map out. And like Outlaw said, you see them all there, but you don't have any metadata about them, right? Like you don't know if it's a tree or if it's a blob or whatever, but you can see that everything that you've been looking at, all those hashes are in that Git metadata that it's storing on the system. Yeah, and the, and the author actually walks through an example where you know he, he does a cat file on a cat file minus T on the different commits to see like, okay, which one's a commit, which one's a tree, which one's a blob. And you know, let's go delete stuff. Oh no, he didn't do that part. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that's definitely going to ruin your repository. All right. So maybe, so, <laughs> maybe. So the, the last bit that we're going to get into here is how trees are made, because this is sort of like the, I know the this next one step. I know this one. <laughs> yes. It, you you plant a, a seed. <laughs> Gotta dig the hole first, man. You do. Or 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 you just shove it down in the dirt, right? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you don't have to dig a hole. You pollination, bees, yeah, birds something do something. Happens. I don't know. Yeah, something happens. Yeah. So we've talked about this a little bit that that Git contains its own metadata, right? So there's this notion of an index and the way that they say this is it's what you use to initially create blobs out of files. And that doesn't make a whole bunch of sense to me, at least not at this point, but it does when you start looking at it on the file system. So what they say is if you were to do a git add without a commit, assuming that you're following along with the page that will have link there. Um, if you do a git log, so brand new repository, you get init it, um, you add a file, like you echo something to a file and then you do a git add. And then right after that, you do a git log, it'll blow up and it blows up because there is no log. There's no commit. So nothing has actually been committed to the repository at that point. Okay. Okay. No, I'm, I'm I'm trying to follow. I'm following along in my head. Okay. All right. So I'll continue. All right. So, Here's what's interesting. We've said it does still modify your repository in a way, right? Because mm-hmm. Git has to still know about this. Well, there is another low-level command called git ls-files dash dash stage. This will actually show you that you have a file on your system 
and and it's being referenced by the index, right? The Git index on on what it knows about. So that's pretty good. Um, at this point, though, still you've only done the Git add. You haven't done a Git commit. The file's still not referenced by a tree or a commit. It's only in that Git index file. Okay, you had a question. Well, I was just going to say that the ls files by itself. This goes back to um, well. No, this is the same. What well, command were we talking about a minute ago? It wasn't LS, LS files, tree. LS tree. Yeah. yeah. So this is similar to that though, that it's going to like just show you the files that are in your, uh, in your repository. But now I'm curious that if like the LS files, if I would go into a different one and I say, get LS files into a different directory and yep, sure enough, it shows only the files that Git knows about that are in whatever the current working directory is. Yep, so, so it's sense. contextual. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. And, yep. and, you know, um, I don't think they called it out, uh, but I was just kind of watching as I was going through this, and I noticed that uh, the actual blob got written into the objects folder when you did the add. So you do the add, it up, it creates the index, but it also, it kind of, and it kind of makes sense. Like, it, it shoves the file contents uh, in the form of that blob uh, into the objects as well. Yep, but it's not been committed yet, right? So it's, it's, it's got all the metadata about it, but it hasn't done anything to put it committed into the repository yet. Yeah. And if you do a reset, as you might expect, it's going to uh, both get rid of that index. It's going to clear that index file, but it's also going to remove that uh, object, assuming it wasn't referenced by something else. So it's so, going to kind of clean things up there. Okay. So it did kill that blob then that, that reference that it had there. Okay. Yeah, cool. This shows like, Hey, I don't need to do get reset anymore. I just delete this index file, but then it's going to leave stuff behind. Yeah. It could get nasty at that yeah. point. Okay. That, so, now, the next thing that we were talking about, again, we're not doing a git commit yet. That, that's too easy, right? We want, the, we want to take the hard road here based off how they're doing things. So what they do next is called git write-tree. And this takes the contents of your index and it writes it to a tree, which is a new hash, right? That's, that's another one of the object types that git knows about is this tree. So now you've got... You've got this object, like what Jay-Z was just talking about. It's there. You've got, so the blob with the hash. Now you have a tree with a hash. Um, and again, what we said is if you're following along with what they've been doing on this page and you use the same exact echo to a file, you're going to get the same exact hash that they have. Because remember, the SHA-1 is always the same for blobs. I have the same content, same length, blah. All right, so... Um. And then they say the, the next thing is pretty interesting too. A tree that has the same blobs in it and the same subtrees will also have the same hash because they use the same hashing algorithm, right? So if you have, if, if I have the same file set up that Jay Z has and the outlaw has, we're all going to have the same hashes for our trees with this get right tree um, command. All right. Okay. So. This low-level write tree, what this does is it takes those contents of the index, it writes them into a tree in preparation for a commit. Now, this is what's interesting, right? So behind the scenes, this is probably what the real tools out there are doing. So now, the next command that you would run is git commit tree. You would pass in that tree's hash that you had. It then makes a commit that holds that tree is what they say in, in the document, right? So, so now you've kind of gone the full circle on these things, right? So now you have a commit that has a reference to that tree, 
that has a reference to that blob and that is stored in your repository. So now if you ran a git log at this point, I believe technically you should see some information in there, right? Yep. Yeah. And uh, I walked through this as well. And so just to kind of sum it up again. So what we did is we created a file, we did a git add. And when you did that git add, it created the blob for the file contents if it didn't already exist. And then it created that entry in the index. We did this uh, write tree. And what it is is it cleared that index file and it wrote a tree object into our objects folder. And then once we did the commit tree, it created another object into this object folder for the actual commit that took a hash that pointed to the tree. The tree, uh, in this case, uh, talk about a single file, uh, pointed to our blob. Yep. And here's here's one other interesting thing about doing this low-level way of, of working with these hashes in Git is... Typically, if you're on a branch and you do a commit and then you do another commit and you do another commit, right? That third commit is going to point to that second commit, right? We, we talked about git log and you have this sequential type history of things. Well, it's because the third commit had a parent of the second commit and the second commit had a parent of the first commit, right? If you want to do that with this git commit tree, you actually have to do a dash P and pass in the hash of the previous commit that you want it to be its parent. So there's a whole bunch of magic that happens behind the scene, or I guess not magic. Now we're kind of demystifying a lot of it, but there's a Are whole we? lot of things. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe hopefully a little bit better than last time. Um, but when you do this, there's a whole lot of things. When you just do your everyday regular git commit, there's a lot of stuff that it's running behind the scenes for you to link everything up and to make everything sort of easy. Right. I mean, and there'll probably be people who'd be like, it's not easy. It's a whole lot easier than this. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Right. Yeah. And so uh, without that P argument, what happens is um, your commit just points to the single tree and the tree and, and talking about a single file points to a single blob. So I think if you did a git log here, you're just going to see your most recent commit. You basically lost your, you know, any others that you may have done. I believe that's what it would be, right? Like you wouldn't have any history. You're saying if you did if you didn't include the parent, the dash p, right? Because yeah. there'd be no linkage, right? I don't think. So yeah, let me see here. I I don't think I can reproduce this. Do well, I? While he's doing that, my guess was going to be that this would be the case of like a shallow clone. Like this would oh, be the equivalent of doing that. Like I'm only I only want from this point forward, and I don't right. care the about tip. the past. Yeah, that would make sense. Now, also while he's looking that up, I, I had another one for you too. <clears throat> as we were going through this whole index thing, I, I wanted to confirm this, but um, so that index file is a binary file that has the list of uh, paths and, and whatnot that, that um, there's there, the shawls of the blobs that are part of the, you know, the repo at that point in time. Right. But when you did that, get add, command well no i think in your example you didn't do the git add right no yeah you no, did you do the git add. you did no, do a git add no in this commit. example yeah right. you yeah. haven't committed it yet that git add command in the background creates the blob underneath the git objects for you and that's then what the index is pointing oh well yeah yeah that's what he was I saying that like part. when you did the git add then it added that blob or that yeah the blob with the shaw and and you saw that stuff. And then that's when he said, if you did a get reset at that point, it actually deletes that blob and the SHA from the index. So it, it all, yeah, I mean, it's sort of managing all that for you when you do it. 
So here's a couple of extra things while Jay-Z is trying to finish up that one thing. Um, what, so we talked about in a lot of these things, when you, when you create these, these shaws of these objects, that they're the same, right? The tree, if you have the same tree structure, it's the same shaw. If you do the same blob, it's the same shaw. However, your commits will always be different. And the reason they say is because it takes your author name and the date when you did the commit and it's hashing those. And so technically you should never have the same Shaw on anybody's. It doesn't matter how similar the file is or how exact it is. It shouldn't matter. Um, now here's the next thing that it said that you have to do after this git commit tree. Um, we're still not done. You now have to overwrite um, the dot git slash ref slash head slash master, assuming you're on the master branch um, to be the latest commit hash ID. So you're basically overriding the contents of that file to point to the latest hash. So that's the other thing that's happening behind the scenes for you that you don't usually have to think about. Um, and that's telling you get that, Hey, the named branch master should now reference that new commit because that's what gets going to read when it's looking at head. Um, and they said there was a safer way to do this instead of just overriding that file is you can use a, uh, get update dash ref and then do refs heads master again, like that's safer. But I mean, yeah, I don't know how many times you use that one outlaw out of the three of us. You, you're, you're the get guy. Never. Like why, why would I like, I would recommend everybody like understand it's good. This is good to understand. Like I'm, I'm learning as we go through this, like new things, you know, even as we go through this, but like I, these commands are not for the faint of heart. Like, you know, unless you got to be in some pretty bad situations to where you're like, okay, I'm going to manually update the ref. Right. Like you're, you're, you're already in a really bad way if that's what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. And then the last thing that they said here that was pretty interesting, at least with this tree section, was you can also change the symbolic ref by doing a git symbolic dash ref head refs heads master. And this associates the working tree with the head of master. So that was a whole bunch of commands to do what typically a git commit does for you. Right. Like, I mean, literally that's, that's basically what we just did was your typical get commit gain a lot of new respect for it. Right. Right. A little bit. So, uh, Jay Z, are you still coming back with it or did you get it? Uh, well, so, so something unexpected uh, or that I didn't expect happened. So, uh, basically what, what I did is, uh, I did the last step. So I, I, created the file. I added it the normal way with git add. And then I did the, uh, What's it called? The tree commit? Commit tree. Commit tree. Yep. Well, you, and did, then, did you do the right tree first? Uh, sorry. Yeah, I did the right tree. Okay. And then uh, then I did the commit tree, and I did not pass a parent. And what I expected to happen is basically I expected to just kind of lose my history and just see that one uh, commit happen. But instead, uh, what happened is that uh, – it did not get added to my ref slash heads of master. So when I do a git log, I do not see my new commit. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and I do see the commit in my objects folder. And if I do like a git cat file and like commit, I see that commit. But that commit didn't end up in the chain. <laughs> so, but, so well, if the- you were to check out, no, no, no. The, I think the thing is, is that like we're confusing like what does the branch point to versus what does that commit think right. so if you were to check out that commit and then do a get log what do you see as its lineage like what does it show you yeah so it tells me i'm in a detached head state when i do that 
Yep, which would uh, make sense when you check out the it, commit. Yep, and but, if I do git log, that's the only commit that it shows. So yeah. it did not link it up. Yeah, it basically like it up. start. It's like as, as if it started everything over almost. Yep. Yep. So so uh, oh well. Okay, you you had this closing bit here. I don't know if you want to do this before. I had something for you to think about, like a a brain teaser. Do you want to do that first, Jay Z? Oh, I did. Isn't that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, yeah, you did. Oh, well, I see where we are. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> talking about the. Uh, sorry, there's a anyway the notes, but uh, I was all absorbed in my example here. So uh, I was just trying to kind of wrap up like what we've uh, learned, and uh, I, I got a couple. Uh, uh, so what what have you all learned tonight, or uh, you know, by doing this uh, this work that I still know nothing about Git. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know a little bit more than I did before this. I think, yeah. So uh, here's a couple of after a, oh, more than a decade. I'm still like, huh? Right. Can yeah. do that. Neat. Right. There's still so much to learn. So uh, here's a couple of notes um, that I, I kind of took is basically that blobs are unique. I definitely never knew that. You know, I never really thought about it. Um, uh, also, uh, what all those files mean. So I, of course, have looked in uh, the Git folders before and kind of wondered about the stuff. You know, I'd seen all the hashes and stuff and been kind of confused and. I just didn't really know what any of it meant. And so it's kind of cool to know that like when I look in the objects folder in particular, there's uh, blobs, trees and commits all in there. And now also just cause this uh, most recent experiment uh, and seeing that my commit did not end up in this uh, heads file. Uh, it gives me a better understanding of that detached state message, which I've seen before when checking out like a cherry pick or a commit before uh, I've got a better kind of sense of what that means to be kind of, uh, outside of the branch structure and outside of that uh, that kind of lineage, uh, which is really cool, uh, and also just the kind of how important that parentage is. Um, that was a, a big one for me. Oh, I did have one more that I crossed off too soon, which is just the idea that um, blobs are organized uh, as part of trees, and the trees are kind of held by commits. The commit will point to a tree. And that uh, head is a, uh, a pointer to a particular commit. And remember, like we said, that commit is able to look back at its parent, assuming that it's not in a headless state or isn't like the first commit, basically. So I think the one that, that got me the most is learning that Git behind the scenes is, I don't want to say duplicating, but it's it's sort of writing its own metadata about the file structure that you already have, right? Like, I didn't know how deep it went with all that. Like, everything you're doing, it's creating its own version of it behind the scenes, right? And that's, that's ultimately how it knows about what's on your system. It, it's not... It's not using your file system as is, which is something I didn't know about like before this. Like I've been in the commit folder like you and I looked around, whatever, like I just didn't realize what it was doing behind the scenes. So this is, it's pretty cool to know that, that it's just, it's writing its own metadata about everything. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And now I know like if, uh, if, if for example, if I want to know like where the metadata is stored for a commit, like, you know, who checked this in? Uh, I know that that's in one of those folders in that objects file, and it's the one that corresponds to the commit. I can get there by using the first two letters and then the rest of it, and uh, I can use this git uh, was it the catch cat file cat command, file. assuming I know the type, and I can actually read what that is, which is just kind of cool. If I modify it, then the contents inside that file 
aren't going to match with the hash. So I imagine things are just going to get weird and kind of break. And you should, I mean, you should never, never, never muck with anything in that folder. But just kind of interesting to think about what would happen if he did. Okay. <laughs> Outlaw's eyebrows raised. <laughs> uh, now we're getting into the fun part. So here, so here's some brain teasers based on like how far we are now with, with some of this, uh, you know, like a, as a thought exercise kind of thing, you know, to go through, uh, you know, live and on air. Um, so earlier you had mentioned like if you were in that get objects directory and you were to delete one of the files, right. Or the directory that it would like wreck your repo. And I was like, eh, maybe <laughs> right now, you know, I, well, as we're going to continue going through this, this get from the bottom up. And so maybe it'll like answer some questions, but I have my own theories on stuff here. And so, you know, feel free to correct me in Slack or wherever. But why do you think that I said that maybe? Well, it, the the files might point to something that's like a, that's in a detached, you know, a commit, something uh, like a branch that you're not checked in, for, for example. It could be uh, some sort of object or tree or something that's not in something that you care about anymore. Um, so you may not notice that it creates a problem. Uh, it's also, you know, we said that um, objects get deleted when they're no longer used anymore. So when I say objects, I'm literally talking about the in the objects folder. Um, but I don't have a good understanding of how deletes work. We haven't talked about that at all. So how do I know that something isn't referenced anymore? And so I don't have a good sense of how Git cleans up after itself. So I guess it's possible that there are zombies. But my guess would like if someone told me that there was stuff in there that didn't need to be, I would think that I had either deleted a branch or had a, something that I checked out a commit for and kind of done some weird stuff that just didn't have a way of referencing it more and that Git didn't know about it anymore. It kind of lost track of it. What, what, what say you, Alan? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Here, here, here's my thought process. So in Git, there are a thing, a such thing as abandoned objects, objects that are not pointed to by anything. So, um, what do I mean by that? So we talked about like the Git, the Git log, for example. So you create your initial commit, then you create your second commit. Your second commit points to that first one, right? And now your your head has been updated in your main branch to that second commit. Then you create a third commit, and the third commit points to the second commit. Second commit points to the first commit, and head has been moved to that third commit in that new branch. Okay, so three commits in this example. And all are being pointed to by something, right? But if you have a commit that isn't pointed to anything, then it's it's an, just an abandoned object. And I don't remember the exact term that Git has for it. It might not be called abandoned. Uh, maybe it's orphaned object, might, I think, might be the correct term for it. But it so, so the example that Jay-Z did where he did his commit manually doing like the right tree, commit tree, and he never bothered to update the the um head Rest. or the master ref in that example he made an orphan to commit that wasn't pointed to by anything and so there is a git gc command for the garbage collection and how it does its magic of finding like all of the commits i'm not sure i'm hope hoping that we'll learn but um it will go through and prune all of those objects out now think about this um, we, we've also, have you ever wondered how, uh, how it might be possible that 
a service like an Azure DevOps or a GitHub, when you go in, uh, you know, you make your branch, you push up some stuff, you PR it and, um, or maybe you don't even PR it, but one way or the other, you delete the branch and then it immediately is like, gives you an undo option. And you're like, but I thought I deleted it. Right. But yet it still knows that it's there. And so this goes in part with kind of my thinking of that, that like when you, when you have the branch, right, you have this ref that, that is the branch name, right? Which is just a named commit. So that branch name is pointing to some particular commit. And now you've deleted that branch that you may not have merged in anywhere. Right. So let's, let's ignore the PR thing that I said a moment ago, you haven't merged anywhere, but you delete the branch and it gives you the undo option. So it still knows what the commit ID is because the commit itself hasn't been uh, deleted. That object hasn't been removed. So it'd be possible for the system behind the scenes to like recheck out that commit, recreate a branch of whatever the previous name was and boom, now your branch exists again because now you've recreated a ref that points to that particular thing. So again, that's just my guess on like how things would work behind the scenes based on, you know, what we know so far. Right. And we'll find out. Maybe I'm wrong. It's complicated. Yeah, it's good. Deal. <laughs> well, I mean, I was, you make it sound like a breakup story. Like, <laughs> like I just changed my Facebook status. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Ah, all right. So, uh, we'll have, we'll have links, uh, you know, to this, um, to this, to this book, which is just like, we're, we're calling it a book, but I want to be clear. Like this is free. You can, it's on freely available on GitHub. Um, the author thankfully made it, uh, free for the rest of us. So, um, to share his wisdom with us. So, uh, we'll have a link to that. Um, and as Alan said, uh, uh, we hope that we, we've explained it better this time. Um, but you know, Hey, let us know. I mean, you know, we learn from our mistakes. That's how we get, uh, stronger. Right. Um, just like the Hulk, (laughs) uh, wait, that might be the wrong analogy there. Um, whatever. All right. Well, with that, we head into Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week. Uh, So, you know, we've been talking a lot lot on on this episode, by the way, um, you know, we mentioned the book is on GitHub. They take pull requests. It's actually been updated four days ago. It's pretty cool. Um, well, uh, I was, uh, just kind of messing around on Twitter the other day and I saw someone talking about forbidden files in windows and I thought that sounded kind of cool. And so I, I read the thread and I'll have a link to that in the show notes here. Um, there's a user called, uh, Foon, F O O N E that posts a lot of really interesting stuff. There's a lot of, uh, interesting and strange kind of delvings into like how computers work and just kind of oddities and stuff. And, um, I, I found this account at some point and it was just kind of um, browsing through and reading up. And uh, this one kind of caught my attention for some reason. But um, basically, uh, what this person was talking about is forbidden file names in Windows. Turns out there are file names that you can't use. Uh, here's one of this example uh, AUX. Try creating, if you're on Windows, try creating a file named AUX. That doesn't work. Okay, fine. You get an error. What, what about aux.txt or .h or .anything, .info? You just can't do it. Same with con. 
Uh, there's there's a, like a, a pretty good list of them, and it's um I can I can link to the Windows documentation too that has a, like a full list, and some of them like obviously mapped to like serial ports and kind of just older decisions from back in the DOS days that have been carried forward. Uh, but the uh, the author of the tweets went on to just do a bunch of experiments. And they're like, well, what happens if I zip these up and uh, on Linux and then extract them in Windows? Like, do I get an error message? Like, what does this look like? And uh, so I, th- I thought that was kind of funny. Um, and it, he like, uh, or they went into great detail going through uh, kind of what it means and how it works and just kind of getting into weird situations with the computer. But they also put up all the file names or examples of all the file names. Sometimes it's a pattern uh, on GitHub. So uh, on Windows, you can go and clone this repository. It's called, uh, it's under the username foon slash forbidden dash files. Uh, you can clone this repository on Windows. And uh, I mean, I'll go ahead and spoil, I guess. You end up with a blank directory, which is funny. And so this is a, kind of a weird situation in Git where like you do a Git clone and then you're in this like weird state. Like, what does you know Git do? Like, the files don't exist, so it sees them all as kind of like acts like you deleted them or something. So it's just like a this weird nonsense situation that you shouldn't be able to get into. But it's pretty funny. Um, well, now I'm trying to get myself into a similar weirdness, though. I'm trying to remember like where it is. Uh, Windows by default put like your WSL instance. Uh, uh, I don't remember where the files are. Well, that's pretty cool. I just tried several of them, and yeah, it's an invalid device, almost all of them. But uh, Foon, the user Foon did say that they created the file in WSL. They, they created this repository and pushed it up in WSL, so it, you know it works there. Well, it's yeah, really not in DOS. Yeah, that's why. That's why I was curious because I'm in WSL, and I, like you said, I have the the files, and I'm like, okay, can I go view them in? Uh, you know, window, windows can, yeah, but I can't remember the path. All right. Well, I think that was one of the experiments neat. they, uh, attempted. and one of the things that was interesting is, um, the, uh, one of the experiments, uh, I don't remember which one, they, which one it was, but, uh, let's see, they tried to, Oh, they tried to, um, they basically, they, uh, tested one of the files and they got a bunch of error messages and it was interesting because it was kind of, um, there was a lot of errors and it was kind of confusing and it's just a wall of text and it makes you just kind of want to skip over. It. It's weird. But it was just kind of interesting to think that, uh, you could kind of slip in some malicious stuff in these errors and it, I don't know. It's, they, they, um, they slipped a nefarious message into a screenshot here that's got all these other messages that you, like, it's kind of funny that your brain, once it starts noticing a pattern, like, oh, this is a bunch of garbage, you kind of skip over it until you really look closely and realize that, uh, Ooh, they're doing something very interesting with volume F in the screenshot. So it's kind of an example of how you might be able to kind of hide what you're doing in errors, which is totally unrelated to the actual kind of issue here that they were discussing, but I just thought it was kind of funny. I did try to uh, use the command prompt and like create aux.txt. Yeah. And it doesn't throw an error. It just doesn't do it. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of like the Git checkout. Like it just doesn't do it. Yep. Interesting. Cool. Well, I've got a couple of tips here um, that are sort of follow-ups to previous tips. So I think last time I mentioned the the um, Maven dependency tree command, so MVN space dependency colon tree. So one of, I don't remember exactly what I mentioned in the previous one, but uh, Derek Chase or Chas, I actually don't even know how he says that, he mentioned that if you're doing a, a dependency tree call in 
in Java, Maven specifically, don't use grep because it won't give you what you're actually looking for. So for example, let's say that you're looking like Google's Guava is, is one that comes up a lot because there's all kinds of version conflicts or conflicting versions and whatnot that you can run into depending on what you're trying to do. So if you were to say MVN space dependency colon tree and then pipe that and grep um, Google Guava or just Guava, you'll see a line that comes out of that. But the problem is you won't get the tree that got you to it, right? So, um, and then maybe you could do a grep dash C and say, hey, include so many lines before and after so you can see how things are happening. But that's kind of hacky. Like you'd have to do it multiple times to get what you want. The better answer is if you know the artifact that you're looking for, you do an MVN space dependency colon tree space dash D, capital D and then lowercase includes equals and then you do the artifact that you're looking for. You can either do the group ID. So in a lot of cases, it's something like com.google.guava or something, right? Like I can't think of it off the top of my head. You could just do that and it'll show you anything that's using that particular group ID or you could put in the actual artifact ID after the colon as well. But if you do it that way with the dash capital D includes, that will actually show you the tree from that element that it found all the way up to the root. So you can trace down exactly how you got to that artifact. Super nice. And it is very helpful when you're doing things like that. So that that is a great tip. So thank you, Derek, for, for putting that up there. And for Tutko's trademark rules of engagement. Wait, yes. Wait, yes. this is out of place. This is right. awkward. And, and I actually forgot about this. So I got to apologize here because he actually wrote this to me a while back. So this is based off another tip that I'd given in the past. So I had mentioned that Kafka Cat for me, for some reason, was not spitting out things when I was doing a grep. Right. And I think we had talked about this. And at that point, I was like, I don't even care. I'm not going to deal with this. Like, I'll just figure out how to get it, however else I did it, right? Whatever that tip of the week was. Well, he gave something that is that is a really good tip that I've seen used in a lot of places. And I, I honestly can't even say that I knew exactly what it meant. So what he's saying here is if you weren't seeing things in the grep, it might be because things were going into standard error instead of standard out. So a way to cheat it, to force it all into what you're trying to grep is you could do something like the Kafka cat, like I mentioned before. After that, you're going to do the number two, a greater than sign, the ampersand sign, and then the number one. Then you do the pipe, and then you grep whatever your search term is. And what this is saying is this is going to pipe the standard error to the standard out, and then pipe that over to grep. So that way, if for some reason those those records were going into standard error, which were not being output to my grep command before, those would be combined with the standard outs, and you'd see all of them. Um, I haven't tried it to see if that maybe what was what was going on before, because I'd never had the problem in the past where the Kafka cat wouldn't show it when I grepped it. Um, so I don't even know that I could recreate it now. But knowing that two greater than ampersand one is a really nice tip for being able to get all the output of something that's being written out to to your um, terminals. Yeah, or, it never dawned on me that it might be going out to standard error when you were describing the previous problem and whatever right, yeah, episode same. that was. 
Yeah, same. It's been a few back, but but yeah, that's that's a really good tip. All right. Well, uh, yeah. Hey, real quick. Did you know yesterday I spotted an albino Dalmatian? Oh, really? Tell I, me more. I really did. I don't know why you're saying it like that. It was really... You spotted? Yeah, it was the least I could do for him. <laughs> uh, I got it. Okay. <laughs> it okay. took a second. Uh, uh, yeah. So, all right. So, uh, for my tip this week, um, oh, you know what? I forgot to sh- grab who shared this with me. I will try to find that. But, um, so, Git is hard. And, you know, messing it up is easy. Figuring out how to fix your mistakes is impossible. Uh, you know, we're we're after all these years trying to learn it still. And uh, so, you know, go to dangitgit.com and I'll have a link to that uh, so that you can see like common, uh, you know, solutions to problems that you may or may not make. Um, just think of the spelling of that as like dangitgit.com. <laughs> yeah. Um, so at any Beautiful. rate, uh, you know, I'll have, I'll have that one in there, but yeah. Um, you liked that pun though. That was a good one, right? Did you know I submitted uh, a whole bunch of puns to a local pun competition? And no, I didn't know. Why do you say, and why can't it just be like, I did it. And you'd be <laughs> like, Oh, I'm so excited for you. I, I'm, I'm excited for you. <laughs> Sadly, no pun in 10 did. Oh, geez. oh, okay. Hey, hold on. So I ran out of gas the other day and I called up the insurance company to, to get roadside assurance and they just totaled my truck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you don't get it. Come on, man. Wait, say it. No, I did. <laughs> I, I will. I, get ran it. Out, I ran out of gas the other day mm-hmm. and I called my insurance company for roadside assurance, insure uh, assistance, and they just totaled my truck. Yeah, I mean, so at first I assumed it was like a, a joke about the gas prices being so totally. Expensive. Yeah, that's what it is. But then I also realized that pretty much any time you call an insurance company now, that somehow it's freaking total. <laughs> so uh, then I got confused about yeah, which I'm like, one. This is just a be. sad reality. Like, of course the uh, yeah. insurance company's going to total it. <laughs> yeah, it's like bumper. They got to put gas bumper in bumped, it. totaled too yeah. soon. Totaled. Here's five hundred bucks for your new car. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so uh, that was uh, from Tina, and uh, oh, I always mess this one up. Uh, help me out here, Alan. I'm going to say it as Gregory, but I'm yeah. sure that's probably wrong. Was it? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it. Okay, so. it's just not Gregory. like how we would spell it then. Not how we would spell Gregory, so it was a totally good guess on my part. Oh, you were going to say Gregory or something? Well, at first I was thinking like, yeah, maybe, but then I'm like, no, I think if I like said it phonetically, like... Have we talked about how I hate <laughs> proper nouns? Yeah. This is why instead I like to talk to people about dried grapes. Hey, uh, you know, I uh, don't hold, remember. hold, hold, hold. We're missing the punchline. <laughs> why is there always a punchline with me? What's the dried grapes? I'm all about raising awareness. Oh, <laughs> Thank yeah. you, Scott. Okay. So my, I have one last tip for you. I don't know if I've done it. I thought I'd already done this tip, but I couldn't find it. But I just wanted to like be definitely sure that this one is known. So like how to vacay. All right. So step one, disable your work email. Preach. Preach. 
<laughs> and and silence any Slack or Gchat or whatevs that you have, right? So like Slack and in Gchat, for example, they make it kind of easy to where like you can go in there and say like, hey, snooze notifications for this amount of time. Although Gchat's annoying in that example, or at least the Hangouts was. I haven't checked in the current Gchat, but um, because it would be like, oh, we well, want to do it for like a maximum amount of time of just eight hours. And you're like, no, where's my seven days? Nah, <laughs> come back to me in eight hours. Right. Um, but, uh, like Slack, you can at least like customize it, but you know, what's super annoying is that like your mail options don't do that. You can't say like, Hey, just, I don't want to, I don't want you to bother retrieving mail for this account because I'm going to be tempted to read it. If I see that little red notification bubble pop up and especially if it becomes an oval or elliptical or whatever, you know, like if it's round, that's not so bad. But as soon as it gets out of that shape, if it gets into pill shape, we're in trouble. Um, so in iOS, go to your settings, mail accounts and select your work account and then just turn off that mail slider. Leave the, It can still continue to sync your content, your contacts and calendar, but just don't sync the mail. Now, you Android users, I'm sorry, you have to continue working during your vacation. All right, this this tip isn't for you. That part of the terms of service when you when you said accept on that end user license agreement that you we all quote read and you just like clicked it. Part of the terms there was that you you would accept this that you had to continue working on your vacation. So that's when you set up Android. That's on you. That's not on me. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, it checks out. <laughs> um, that thing Scott. One thing. Wait, did, you have one other thing. Yeah, I uh, I don't remember if I gave this tip or not, so I'm just gonna say it again. Uh, Morelli, uh, we talked about him a bunch of times on the show, uh, especially uh, during the SRE episodes. You know, he's on tabs and spaces recently. Oh no, really? Yeah, I don't think I mentioned that one before, and also uh, I think I did mention this one, but just in case I didn't. Uh, but Devin uh, Devin Goble was on uh, tabs and spaces too. Awesome. So uh, yeah, their the show's doing doing good, getting getting some awesome guests. So excellent. Go check it out. So I don't know if I thank Scott for the the raising awareness, uh, but yeah. So all three of them are in there. So uh, we hope you enjoyed it. I mean, you know, we 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 committed to another episode. See what I did there? We sure did. So subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you like to find your favorite podcast apps. And uh, like uh, Joe awkwardly said before, uh, if you haven't left us a review, we would greatly appreciate it. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be a three star. It could be. It could be better. Uh, he has a really low, uh, you know, bar. So, you know, we, we strive for excellence here and well, Alan and I strive for excellence and Joe strives for whatever. That's right. whatever gets you through the day. <laughs> That's right. Hey, so while you're up there at www.codingblocks.net, make sure you check out our show notes, examples, discussions, and more, and send your feedback, questions, and rants to Slack or this episode as we did the last one. And, uh, yeah. Dang it. Yeah, and uh, if you're done slacking now, make sure to follow us on Twitter, at and we've got the website, too. Don't forget. And I promised I would f- give credit to the uh, uh, for the dang it git, and now I can't find it, so why did I even say that I would? Well, dang it. Oh, geez. <laughs> was it in Slack? Now we got to know. Hold on. Yeah, it was Hold in Slack. It, w- it was in Slack, but I... Don't hang up. Remember. Don't hang up. <laughs> wait, well, no, I got to go. Mom's Keep on the listening. line. No, got to yeah. wait. No, I'm out. I can't find it now, so we'll never know. It's 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 done.